0: So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to uh, Hebrews chapter six. We're looking at verses 19 through Hebrews seven, verse 19. I once heard another preacher tell a story. He was flying from Boston to Denver and the departure area of his flight began buzzing with stern looking men in dark suits who were talking into their lapels. And he asked a flight attendant what was happening and she said, just wait, you'll see. Well, then he recounts, after we settled into our economy class seats, two of the dark suited men arrived in first class followed by former president Gerald Ford. This was a number of years ago. He continues, I sat just a few rows away. I thought I've never met a president before, I'll go introduce myself, but then I wondered, why would he want to meet me? I didn't even vote for him. <clears throat> <laughs> then I remembered that during my years in seminary, I had met President Ford's son, Mike. So I marched toward first class, and before the Secret Service could stop me, I spoke boldly President Ford, I just wanted to meet you. I know your son, Mike. We talked briefly, mostly about Mike. Mike's name had given me entree to approach the president. Have you ever felt hesitant to approach someone important? Have you ever felt hesitant to approach God, the most important being in the whole universe? Someone with responsibility for the whole world and all 8 billion people who live in it. Someone holy, pure, other, who lives in inapproachable light, And who's surrounded by fierce angelic bodyguards. And yet we are very imperfect people. Our our hands, our hearts are often stained with guilt. I know sometimes I feel hesitant and unworthy to approach God. Maybe because I've done something I feel guilty about. Maybe because I'm just not feeling very spiritual that day. And I have a vague sense of unworthiness to approach God. This this isn't unique to me. It's not even unique to Christians. Through the history of the world, people have always recognized that a vast gulf exists between them and the divine. And that they lack standing to come into the presence of deity. Maybe because they're guilty. Maybe because they're just ordinary but they know the space where deity dwells is forbidden and forbidding space, inaccessible to mere mortals. You don't belong there unless you have special entree, the kind of entree that that pastor felt he had for a moment because he'd met the president's son, Mike. But how do we get access To the presence of someone as important and as holy, as divine, as the living God. The answer is that we need a priest. We need a gatekeeper. We need a mediator and an intercessor. Someone who can stand between the ordinary and, and the divine and can negotiate that relationship. In modern terms, it would be like if we had an in with the personal assistant of a CEO, if we'd wanted to access that CEO, or uh, if we had an in with a, a famous person's agent or some other gatekeeper who stands between the VIP and the public and can help you gain access into that person's presence. That's what priests do with the divine. And that's what today's passage is about. Here's the message of today's passage We have a priest, a gatekeeper, a faithful, dependable, always going to be there priest who is willing and, in fact, eager to help us gain access into God's presence. Isn't that good news? We have a forerunner, someone who's gone into that presence before us, who then turns around to us and wants to enable us to draw near to God too. Chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, refers to the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. That's God's presence. That's the place where God is. The inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, is, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever. To really understand just what good news this is and how wonderful it is to have such a high priest, let's step back and think about priests. Let's think about what their job is and let's think about the sacred space in which they function. It all started in the Garden of Eden. When God created the world... And created human beings to live in that world and to steward it on behalf of God. God planted a garden in a place called Eden. And that garden was the place where God was present on earth. In the ancient world, kings often had elaborate gardens. In contrast to the wildness and sometimes the inhospitable desert conditions of the surrounding world, these gardens were places of oasis and beauty and pleasure for the king to enjoy. They were cool. They were luxuriant. They were fragrant. And God plants such a garden for God and invites the humans to be in the garden with God. And there they walk and they talk together, the humans in God's presence. The tree of life is there as well. But of course, when the humans rebel against God, God expels them from the garden and from his presence. They're no longer welcome in God's presence in divine space. It's only later when God rescues Israel from Egypt and makes a covenant with them that God says, Okay, now that we've restored our relationship, let's make a way again for you to get back into my presence and for my presence to be among you again like it was in the beginning. Let's make a tabernacle, a huge, fancy royal tent. And it's decorated like the Garden of Eden with pomegranates and flowers and trees, etc., and access to God's presence in the tabernacle is carefully regulated with laws, with protocols r- related to who can approach God and what sacrifices and cleansing rituals are required in order for them to do so. And, and right in the middle of this, and tasked with overseeing and implementing all this, are the priests, the, the gatekeepers who determine who can get close to God and who help them do it. They help you offer your sacrifice to God and your gifts of thanksgiving and your tithes to God. They help you prepare yourself and cleanse yourself using the required rituals that God requires. They teach you, they instruct you about who God is and what God requires of you. They lead you in worshiping God in the tabernacle. And then they offer you God's blessing in return. And once a year on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the priests go into the the high priest, goes into the holy of holies, the inner sanctuary, the very presence of God, and makes atonement for your sins to restore and reaffirm God's relationship with his people. So again, the priests are the gatekeepers. They're the ones through whom we have access to the divine presence. But there was a problem with the Old Testament priesthood that I'm describing and with the whole priestly system. It was faulty, it was flawed, it was imperfect. And Hebrews is about to go on for several chapters to elaborate on all of the Old Testament priesthood shortcomings. But here in verse 18, it's summed up this way. The former regulation is set aside. It's talking about the regulations concerning the priesthood and the tabernacle here. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. Just quickly to mention some of the shortcomings of the Old Testament priesthood. First, the priests kept dying and you had to keep installing new ones. Second, many of the priests were corrupt. But they were more interested in money or the status of the job, the perks of the job than in actually doing their job. They they abused their office. They exploited the people. And they undermined the reputation of the god who they were supposed to be serving and protecting third all the animals that were slaughtered as sacrifices all the blood that was shed at best only had a temporary effect it never made a lasting difference or opened the way to god permanently And so you had to keep killing animals again and again to cover people's sins, to keep the whole tabernacle going and functioning, and to keep the door to God's presence open. And fourth, you couldn't really get to God yourself after all. The priest had to do it for you. You could only draw near to God at a distance. Only the priest could... Really get close, and even the priest had limits on how close they could get. The whole system was limited and faulty, weak and useless, Hebrew says, not very diplomatically. (laughs) Not because of a problem on God's side, but rather because the people kept turning away from God and offending God and rebelling against God. They kept getting their hands and their hearts dirty. And so constantly they had to keep making sacrifices to cover their sins. And Hebrews steps back and looks at this whole thing and says, Man, it was better than nothing, but something better was sure needed. And guess what? God provided it through Jesus Christ. Jesus is a much better priest, a much better gatekeeper, a much better one to get us access back into God's presence. Well, to elaborate on this and to flesh it out that Jesus is better, Hebrews directs us to two portions of the Old Testament scripture. The first is a story from the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 14. And then the second is just a line from a psalm, Psalm 110 verse 4. And both are about one of the most intriguing and enigmatic characters in the Bible. The ancient priest king named Melchizedek. In Genesis 14, Abraham, the the person God was working with at that point in history, the one God has promised that I am going to reach the world and bless the world through you and your family. Abraham has gone off to fight a battle against a coalition of kings who have ransacked and kidnapped Abraham's nephew Lot and Lot's family and the cities where Lot is living. And so Abraham musters some troops and, and they go after these kings who are way more powerful than Abraham. And miracle of miracles... God helps Abraham attack these kings and defeat them soundly and rescue Lot and his family and all the other captives and all the other loot that the kings had taken. And after this amazing victory, Abraham comes home laden with plunder. And who comes out to meet him but a king who's also a priest named Melchizedek. Melchizedek is king of a city called Salem, which we know as Jerusalem. And he's priest of God Most High, another name for the God of the Bible. And he comes out and he meets Abraham and he throws a feast for Abraham in, in celebration of this great victory that God Most High has given Abraham. And Melchizedek blesses Abraham saying blessed be Abram by God most high creator of heaven and earth and praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hands. And then in response Abraham is so moved that he gives Melchizedek in return a tenth of all the loot that he gained from the battle. And then that's it. Melchizedek is never heard from again. And we're like, wait, that's it? <laughs> Same more. Who is this guy, Melchizedek, king of Jerusalem, priest of God most high? Where did he come from? How does he know the true God? How did he get to be God's priest? And what happens to him? And the Bible just gives us no answer. We just don't know anything else about this guy. And as the Jewish rabbis over the millennia reflected on this story, they were so curious. One thing they recognized is that the whole key to being a priest is your lineage. Anyone who wants to be a priest in the Bible has to prove from their genealogy that they belong to a priestly family, that they can trace their ancestry back to the tribe of Levi and this guy Aaron, Because only the Levites, the descendants of Levi, could be priests. And that's why the Bible has all those boring, monotonous genealogies in books like Numbers and Chronicles. And the rabbis recognized Melchizedek is a priest, but there's no genealogy defending his right to be a priest. As verse 3 describes him, he's without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life. Hebrews is also reflecting on the fact that we don't have any record that Melchizedek dies like we do for almost every other, read the book of Genesis, almost every other important character in the book of Genesis. Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, Esau, joseph the list goes on in almost every case in genesis we're told how long these people lived uh, who their ancestors were and where and when they died but not melchizedek and so the rabbis started wondering did melchizedek die at all who was this mysterious person an angel a a pre-incarnation of god Someone like Enoch who never died but walked with God and then God took him away and he was no more? And then you have this psalm later, Psalm 110, which has this enigmatic line, you were a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so against this backdrop, listen again to what Hebrews has to say about Melchizedek, starting in verse 2. First, the name Melchizedek means... King of righteousness, tzedek, Sedekah, that's righteousness. Melch Melech is king, king of righteousness. Then also he's king of Salem, which means King of Peace. Salem, Shalom means peace. King of righteousness, king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Melchizedek may be a mysterious figure, and an enigmatic figure, and, and sort of a minor character in the story, but he is certainly a great figure. In fact, listen to verses 6 and 7. Melchizedek collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises, that is Abraham. And without doubt, The lesser, Abraham, is blessed by the greater, Melchizedek. Did you hear that? The author of Hebrews is saying, Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. And then there's this strange argument saying that Melchizedek is definitely greater than any of the priests we know about and read about in the Bible. The Levitical priests who ministered at the tabernacle that uh, we were talking about before. And I think the easiest way to follow this argument is through a picture. If we could put up the, the slide I tried to draw here. Normally, when God's people, the Israelites, gave God their tithe, the tenth of their income, to show honor to God, I've pictured it as the gift in this picture, it was collected from them, by a Levite, one of the priests who were descended from Levi. But in the case of Melchizedek, if we can have the next slide, Abraham gives the tithe and it's collected by Melchizedek. And here maybe the author of Hebrews knows they're stretching it a bit because verse 9 they say, one might even say <laughs> that Levi, family normally collects the 10th was inside the body of Abraham because Levi would later descend from Abraham. And so Levi, inside of Abraham's body, pays the tenth to Melchizedek, you could say. Now, it's maybe a weird way of thinking for us today, but I I hope you at least follow the argument. It's that Melchizedek is superior to the Levitical priests. Melchizedek collects the tithe from Abraham. Abraham. Melchizedek blesses Abraham. Melchizedek is a king and a priest who's greater than Abraham. Okay, we can take the slide down, thanks. And so Melchizedek was a a greater priest than the Levitical priests who came along later, descended from Abraham. And why is all this important? Not to satisfy our curiosity about Melchizedek, though we'd love to know more, but because here's the point Hebrews is making. Jesus is a priest in the line and the order of Melchizedek, not Levi. And so Jesus is a greater priest, a better priest, than any priest the Israelites had in the Old Testament. And that brings to the sec- us to the second Old Testament scripture that Hebrews focuses us on as we move from Genesis 14 to psalm 110 verse 4 the lord has sworn and will not change his mind you are a priest forever in the order of melchizedek hebrews says that this is referring to jesus god has made jesus priest forever not in the lineage or order of levi but no there's a new order of priests now a new kind of priesthood And it's in the order of Melchizedek. Just like Melchizedek was king of Jerusalem and priest of God most high, just like he was greater than Abraham, just like he had, so far as we know, no beginning or end, like a son of God, so is Jesus. King of peace. King of righteousness. King of Jerusalem and of God's people. And priest of God Most High. God's priest forever. Verse 18 again. The former regulation, the one about the Levitical priests and the tabernacle, is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. A new way of drawing near to God. A new priest. A new gatekeeper through whom we can access God and God's presence. One who never fails, never dies. One who lives forever. Who's always there for us. Always on the job. Verse 16. By the power of an indestructible life. Jesus is our final and forever priest. When I was a kid, we uh, had family friends who owned a hotel less than two blocks from the beach in Asbury Park, New Jersey. And uh, every summer we'd go visit them for a few days, sometimes for a whole week. And we got to stay with them for free and share their beach badges. And so we had free access every summer to the beach and it was awesome. (laughs) I have so many fond memories from those years. But eventually, those family friends moved and sold the hotel. They're not there anymore. If I go to Asbury Park today, I'm I'm no longer anybody. I no longer have access. The sweet deal is over. And that, I think, gives us a window into why Hebrews is stressing that Jesus is priest forever. His life and priesthood is indestructible. He is not going anywhere. The sweet deal never ends. And so what we have, we're never going to lose. The access we have to God's presence because of the gatekeeper who we know, who we have an in with, will be there forever. It will not go away. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 8, starting in verse 34. Christ Jesus, who died... More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future... Nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a priest forever available to help us draw near into God's presence. So imagine with me, let's reflect together as we reflect on what the scripture is, is telling us. Take a minute and think about the thing you most want to talk to God about this morning. What's on your heart that you'd most like to be able to bring into the presence of God? Maybe you want to tell God something you're thankful for. Maybe you have a question you've been wanting to ask God. Maybe you just need a hug or to be held. Maybe you need forgiveness for something you've done. Maybe you long to know that you matter and that you're loved and desired. Maybe you have a problem or a hurt or a worry, and what you most need to know is that God sees it and that God will take care of it for you or take care of you and those you love through it. What is it this morning that you most want to bring to God? I'm gonna just give you a minute silently to, to think about what that is. Now imagine you come to God's presence. You can picture it as the Old Testament tabernacle, the fancy tent that Moses set up to house God's presence. Or you could think of it as the grand temple, the the majestic glistening stone temple that Solomon built to replace it. You could think of it as the Garden of Eden, a luxurious paradise garden for royalty, With a high hedge around it to protect it. Or you could think of God's heavenly dwelling, glistening with cloudy white and resplendent color. However, you picture it, you come with a thing you want to talk to God about, and you get to the gate, to the entrance, but it's guarded by fierce angelic creatures. And you wonder, how am I going to get in? Why should I be let in? What right do I have to enter? And I don't know how. I don't know where to go. And then at the gate, you meet a priest, a gatekeeper. He's the one who determines who gets in, the one who makes the introductions, who sees you into the presence of the Almighty God. His name is Jesus. Do you know him? Have you put your trust in him? If you don't know him, if you haven't put your trust in him, that would be the place to start, and I'd be happy to talk with you about that after the service. But if you do know him, if you have put your trust in him, imagine his smile that you have come, and his delight to see you, And to have you see his father. The one in whose presence he lives and works day by day. He says, I'm your high priest. I'm your gatekeeper. And I would love to have you spend time with my father. I've already paid the price of admission. I've taken care of everything that would stand in the way or keep you out. And if there's anything you're carrying right now any unworthiness, any stain, any guilt, any shame, anything you've done or you are that would keep you out, right now I'd like to take care of that for you. Let me wash it with my own blood so that you are pure and white as snow, pleasing to my Father. Now come, let's go in. My Father can't wait to talk to you. And I'll be there by your side the whole time to support you, to intercede for you, to be there with you and for you. That's Jesus. That's our high priest. Every day, forever, he's there for us. A priest in the order of Melchizedek. Let's respond in worship.